open uh, that passage in Ephesians. We're going to continue our, our series on the church. So we've been going through uh, this series in the church. We're in our fourth one uh, at the, the moment. And as we've been thinking uh, about the church, we've been doing it particularly from this passage uh, in uh, Ephesians uh, 2. And, and what we've been seeing and what we saw uh, to start off with was the, the fact that a church isn't the building. The church is the people. And, and the church is illustrated uh, as, as people and it's illustrated uh, as uh, a state, a family, uh, a temple, and we are part of the church. But the church is not about us. The church is uh, all about God. Uh, the chief cornerstone that we read of in verse 20 is Jesus himself. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Jesus is uh, the most important uh, part of the church. He is the head of the church. He is the founder of the church. And then we went on to see that the uh, foundation that the church is built on is a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And we realize clearly that that foundation is, is given to us in God's word. This is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So we have Christ at the center of the church. It's his church. He saved. He redeemed people. He brought us into it. And it's his word that is the foundation that it's been built on. Last week we saw where we have been brought into this whole picture. We realized last week we're looking at the fact that we are being built. We're being joined together. We are the bricks or the uh, living stones as we saw in, in 1 Peter. And then we realized that as becoming part of this church, being brought into this church, we were not always part of it. Just as a brick starts off as being the mud, the clay, and has to be transformed into a brick to be used, we realize that our past is a past of sin. We are born in sin. We are sinners. And we can't be part of God's building when we are sinners. And our sin needs to be dealt with. And it's dealt with through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this past of sin. And then there is a transformation. A transformation that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then last week we were thinking of the fact that there can be people who think that they are Christians. Fake bricks. People who maybe think that they can make themselves right with God. People that maybe think that because of their family, because of their heritage, because of this or that or the other, that makes them a part of God's family. And we were seeing from God's word that the only people that are part of God's family are those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They are the real bricks. And it's absolutely vital that the church is made up of real bricks. If you try to make a building with substandard materials, it goes wrong. There was a big earthquake in Turkey some years ago. And some buildings remained standing, and some buildings crumbled. And when they analyzed it, they realized that the buildings that crumbled were not built either on good foundations, or they were built with substandard materials. 
For a building to stand firm, it needs to be on the right, right foundation. And it needs to be built with the right things. And it's exactly the same with a church. For a church to be healthy, it has to be built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible needs to be the central foundation. And the people within the church need to be true believers. Because if they're not, it's not going to work out. Now, as we're going through this passage uh, in Ephesians, as this is where we're, we're anchoring our thoughts uh, at the moment, th- th- there are two other key parts to uh, this analogy, this picture language that's here. We see the occupant of the building, uh, and then we also see the chief builder. And God willing, with, with the Lord's help, we'll be looking at uh, both of those uh, today. Uh, I, I, I think that's how it's going to work out. And so the occupant, who is the person who dwells, lives in the church? Who is the church being built for? The answer is actually quite breathtaking. The church isn't built for us. We are blessed by it. We're blessed to be part of it. But in verse 22 it says, you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God has made his church for somewhere that he can dwell in the form of the Holy Spirit. And this, this is quite staggering, and this is quite amazing, and we need, to, we need to drill into this. We need to think about this in, in a bit more depth. And to really get the benefit of what is going on here, we need to look at redemptive history again. We need to go back to Genesis. We need to go back to the beginning. And just as we did last week to realize that that is our origin and that's where sin entered in, we know that when God made the world, he made it good. In fact, he keeps saying it's good on each day. And then on the last day, he said it's very good. In fact, the world was perfect. The world was without any problems. Anything at all. Everything was perfect. And so this perfect world had the perfect couple living in it. Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, when they were living in this perfect world, they had a perfect relationship with God. And and the language that the book of Genesis uses in those early chapters is of Adam and Eve wandering around in the evening, chatting to God. It's it's a wonderful picture of of what was going on there. They they were working during the day. They were tilling the land. They were making sure it's being fruitful. They were looking after it. They had their tasks to do. But then in the evening, they had that communion and close special time with God. They had personal fellowship. But as soon as sin entered in, that that personal fellowship, that personal relationship with God was no longer there. And suddenly, as Adam and Eve realized that it was time in the cool of day for for God to meet with them, they they hid themselves. They they couldn't come into his presence anymore. And, 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 And it was broken. And so the presence of God was removed from them. And the barrier between them was sin. And so over the next 2,000 years, 
the Old Testament period, if you like. There was sporadic interactions with God. And over that next 2,000 years, there were some key events that happened. God chose himself a people. He came to Adam. He spoke to Adam. He called Adam out. And he said to Adam, I'm going to make you a, a great nation. And, and God did. Had very, very modest beginnings. Just one son. And it didn't seem like that was going to work out. And even his one son, he told him to, to take as a sacrifice. And it was all strange. But God used that. And the people became a great number. But they became a great number in Egypt. Not their promised land, not in Israel, not in Judah. They became a great number in Egypt. And the Egyptian king, the pharaohs, was oppressing the people and not letting them go. And God intervened and God worked and God, through Moses, using Moses and Aaron, got them safely out. And as God saved them and took them through the Passover, took them through the Dead Sea, took them into the wilderness, took them to Mount Sinai, took them to the place where he gave them the Ten Commandments, took them to the place where he gave them his special promise, he also at that time told them to make a tabernacle. And then the tabernacle was a, a, a dramatic piece of artwork, you could say. But it was directed by God. And God wanted this, this tabernacle, this tent, this, this temple to be built as a symbol of where God dwelt. But despite this being a place where God dwelt, and they could see it as a pillar of fire by night and, and a cloud of smoke during the day as, as a symbol of God being with them, they couldn't just casually come into God's presence. There was within that tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence was symbolically there. And in reality, it was there on occasions in, in a limited sense. But they couldn't just go in there. The priest only had access to the Holy of Holies once a year and after making much sacrifice. And a hundred years later, when they were in the promised land, Solomon built the temple that David wanted to. And it went with vast cost. And it was a magnificent building. And it was breathtaking. And it was one of the wonders of the world at that time. And all the gold and all the, the incense and all the ornate nature of it. But even then, the prophet Isaiah said, and we had this reading earlier in Isaiah 66, God says, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the, rest, the place of my resting? All these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be, declares God. You see, no matter how magnificent the temple was, it was not good enough for God. Because God is the creator, God is the owner, God is the one who made all things. And then in the New Testament, in, in Simon's iconic sermon, just before he was martyred, he says in Acts 7, in chapter four, Acts chapter 7, sorry, in verse 47, he said, Solomon built a house for him. Solomon built a house for, for God. And then, yet, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by man's hands. And so we're seeing here that the thought 
of what's happening with the church is quite incredible. God had to withdraw his presence because of sin. He couldn't have that communion with his people. And yet, Christ's redemptive work on the cross, Christ coming here to to deal with the sins of his people, made it possible for God to dwell with his people again. And not that the wonder of Eden was restored. We've got to wait for heaven for that. But the true living church of, of, of Christ is where God dwells on earth through his Holy Spirit, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so this is it, friends. As as believers, as Christians, as members of the true church, we are the dwelling place of God. And we can look forward to heaven when we will be with him as it was at the very, very beginning and have a a face-to-face relationship with him. But at the minute... We have a token. We have a a wonder of what's been restored for us. The Apostle Paul put it like this very personally when he's talking to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And just as our body is not our own, it's been bought by Christ and it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to remember that the church is not our own and the church is God's and it is where the Holy Spirit dwells. And now there's huge implications. And I think so much of of modern day church goes wrong and, and and the problems that the church have had in the history where things have gone wrong is we've forgotten that this is the dwelling place of God. That this is the place of the Holy Spirit. Because one of the huge implications of this is we should take it seriously how we treat the church. How we treat the church is how we treat the home of the Holy Spirit. And so the implication of this is it's going to dictate to us how we behave in church. It's going to dictate to us as a church how we're going to conduct ourselves as a church. It's going to personally be upon us to work out how we behave individually as members of the church. You see, this is a dwelling place of God. This is the Holy Spirit's home. And as it is the Holy Spirit's home, we have to take it seriously. And so we should be asking ourselves, how should we, do, how should we be behaving? Not, how do I want to behave? What does it make me feel like? We need God to show us and we need to be living in a way that God wants us to be. There was an expression that I was going to use and I realized it just wouldn't work because in England when the kids are playing they say it's my bat, ball and wicket and they have the right because they own the toys so they can control the game. You may have heard the expression your home, your rules. Which basically means that the owner has the, the owner of the house has the right to say what happens in their own house. And we must remember 
this about the church. It is not ours. We are the church. We are the church. This is incredible. This is breathtaking. We are the church. And as the church, we are the dwelling place of God in the Holy Spirit. And so we can't just do church as we like. And this cuts against us nowadays. We're so individualistic and we all have our own rights. And if we want to open a vegan church and all wear pink and worship on a Saturday, we can do that because we have the right to in our own minds. But that's our own minds. You see, we have not got the right to do that because it's God's church. We are the church. As the bricks, we haven't got the right to decide how to do it. It's God's church, it's the Holy Spirit, is where he lives. We cannot let the culture of the day dictate the behavior of the church. Now we have to be sensitive to the culture of the day. We have to be understanding of the culture of the day. But we have to remember the culture of the day so often comes from the pit. And we can't let the pit rule the church. It's Christ's church. It's where the Holy Spirit lives. The Holy Spirit should be dictating the culture of this church. Or of any church. And personally, we cannot be a member of the church. We cannot be a member of God's family and just behave as we like. We have to behave as we're told. As God shows us. When you join clubs or societies, there's certain rules. And people are happy to join clubs and societies. And, and when they join them, they, 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 they sign up to their rules. They, they say, we will come to meetings, we will do this, we will do that, we won't do that. And they understand that's the case. You see, when we are saved and when we're redeemed, we become part of God's family. And we can't behave as we like. That's our former self. We have to behave in the way that God wants us to behave. The church is owned by God, it's occupied by the Holy Spirit, and we need to act in accordance. And in fact, it's actually greater than that in some ways because Christ has bought the blood, bought the church with his own blood. And so we have to do church and be church as God prescribes to us in his word. That's the foundation. His word is the foundation. We don't get the right to say how we want to do it. God has told us in his word how to do church and how to be church. Now, I, I know, and I'm thankful for those of you that got involved with my little bit of research. I asked the question, is there something that you do in your home now in Cyprus that you would not do back at your home, back home. Uh, before I go into some of those examples, I just want to illustrate this with my uh, brother. My brother was traveling between uh, Turkey and Cyprus on the ferry. He, he was not having a pleasant time of it. He wasn't enjoying the trip. And he was sat next to this couple, and they were eating pumpkin seeds. And, and as they were eating the pumpkin seeds, they were just spitting them out 
in, in front of them and there was this pile of pumpkin seeds and my brother was getting more and more upset by these pumpkin seeds. I mean, the ferry had already been late, he, his car had, had problems, it was all these, and it was just the pumpkin seeds were the last thing. And he turned around to this man and he said, would you do that at home? And the man said, well, of course not, because my wife would have to tidy them up. He wouldn't do it at home, but he'd do it somewhere else, yeah? And, and, and when I asked the question, is there things you would do now in Cyprus that you wouldn't do at home, it was almost like a confessional, I think, for some of you. Uh, you can never sleep in an African home. They just expect you to be up before the sun. So I guess that a lot of you here don't get up before the sun anymore. Uh, you can go to bed without doing the dishes. You can stay out late at night. You, can, you, can, you don't have to keep the kitchen door locked through night. You can sleep in. Uh, you can wear trousers and not tie your hair to church. You see, there's things that you would do when you're at home, back in Nigeria or back wherever your home is, because that's what the family's rules are. And then you accept it, don't you? And here, what we have is a situation. We are in God's home. It is his home. We are part of his home. And it is his rules. And we cannot just treat it as our own home. I remember as a child visiting elderly relatives. And at times this was quite painful. I have to confess. I still have the scars in my memory of visiting some elderly relatives. They were lovely people. We always got fed lots. But you had to sit and just not move because of all these animals around the house that if you knocked over, they would get broken. And then you were daily bearing to breathe because you were not in your own home. You are in someone else's home. And, and the rules of that home were different. You couldn't run around in that home. You couldn't play hide-and-seek in that home. You couldn't hide under the cupboard and the stairs because it had someone else's stuff in it. It wasn't your home. You had to treat it as someone else's home because it was somebody else's home. You had to show it respect. Just as when you go to someone's house. If you went to one of those president's houses and went there, you, you wouldn't go up to the, the, the desk and just push the chair back and put your feet on it and the desk and, and just sort of smoke his cigar. You, you wouldn't do that. You, you'd show absolute respect to the owner of the building. Now, we're not a building. We're a church. But it's the same principle. It is owned by God. And it's dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we need to show it that respect. Way, way more respect than I showed or tried to show to my elderly relatives. It's the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure how to say this without sounding flippant. And it's not meant to be flippant. But if we mess up our church life, we are messing God about it doesn't sound very respectful, does it? But it's meant to make this point, that if we are messing up our church life, if we're doing things the way we want to, if we are pushing our agenda, if we are pushing God's word out, then we are messing with the Almighty God. And we're messing with the occupant of the building, the Holy Spirit. Or to put it another way, and this is possibly a better way of putting it, how you treat the church 
is a reflection of your attitude to the occupant, the Holy Spirit. Now that's quite challenging, isn't it? How you treat church is the reflection of your attitude to the Holy Spirit. So if you can't be bothered to turn up, if you chat and talk when we should be listening and considering, if you're playing Candy Crush when we should be worshipping, there's all these things that cuts across all these things, but also cuts across with how we do church. Are, are we showing respect to the Holy Spirit? Or are we more concerned about our own entertainment and our own comfort and how we feel? You see, in the reality, it's not about how we feel. We shouldn't be setting the... When you get in a car in Cyprus in the hot summer... The first thing you need to do is put the AC on, don't you? You need that AC low. Or when you go into someone's house, you hope that they've got the AC on. Or in the wintertime, you hope they've got the fire on. But unless you know somebody very well, you don't walk into their home and switch the AC on for them. Well, certainly not in my culture, you don't. You might say, oh, it's very hot in here. <laughs> very hot and you, you might want them to switch but you don't go and take control of it but we come into church and we take control of church and, and we almost tell the Holy Spirit just wait over there we, 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 we've got to do this first we want to do that we want to feel comfortable we want to do this that and the other and we have to remember that how we treat the church is a reflection of our attitude to its occupant, the Holy Spirit. Cyprus now is alight with pictures of the president of Turkey, Tayyip Erdogan. He's coming to visit. And I don't know if you've noticed that everywhere has been tidied up. The, the yellow bricks, as you come into the, the, the driveway here, have been painted again. Uh, the grass has been cut. The, 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 the flags are going up. Everywhere is being prepared for his uh, arrival. When I was a child, we had a similar sort of situation. It was almost like the, 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 the quarter an hour, half an hour warning. Visitors were coming to the house. And so we had to run around and collect up the toys and tidy up the living room and, and, and make sure that everything was clean and ready for the visitors coming. Uh, my brother and I had a special trick. We lifted up the bed, we pushed everything under, we put the bed back down, and we had it done in seconds. Not a proper job, yeah? If the Holy Spirit was going to visit you, how would you be preparing? In actual fact, it's a totally stupid question, isn't it? If the Holy Spirit is going to visit you. Because if you are part of the church, if you are a believer, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit is with you right now. And so you can't just say, I'll get myself ready, I'll do it on Sundays. I'll do my spiritual stuff on Sundays. I'll have the Holy Spirit with me on Sundays. No, the Holy Spirit is with us all the time. And, and we should be there ready for him all the time. All the time we should be thinking about the fact is, am I pleasing God? Or am I grieving 
the Holy Spirit. You see, at times it can seem as though the, the church, the people, have become more important than the occupant. And sometimes we see it like this, that the, the people are driving the agenda of the Holy Spirit. And it's shocking. And we can selfishly think that church is all about us, and we treat church like a consumer. And we can all be very easily guilty of this. We, we look around at the different churches, and we think, which one shall I choose? I like this type of music. I like these type of people. That sort of message. I, I, I like a church where we wear smart clothes. I like a church where we wear casual clothes. I like a church where there's more old people. I like the church where there's more young people. I, we should be asking ourselves, what does God want? What does God's word teach us that this church should be like? This is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that we should be pleasing. Now, yes, we should be able to enjoy worship and, get, and there should be a blessing to us. But it's not about us. We have to do these things God's ways. And if we do these things God's ways, we will delight in it. And there will be joy in it. And there will be blessing in it. But what we've so selfishly done is we've said we need to put the blessing before the Holy Spirit. We need to put the joy before God. We need to put ourselves in the stage. And the reality is this. We can do nothing without the aid of the Holy Spirit. We must not grieve him. Ephesians 4, a little bit later on in this book, in chapter 4 and verse 30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving to one another, just as Christ forgave you. You see, we need the Holy Spirit to enable us to function as a church. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to grow in the, the fruit of the Spirit, to develop in the gifts of the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. But when we sin, when we put ourselves first, when we're no longer kind and tender-hearted, when we're no longer forgiving, when we're no longer looking out for each other, this is when real problems come in. And as these real problems come in, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And if we grieve the Holy Spirit, how can we expect the Holy Spirit to revive? How can we expect the Holy Spirit to work? You see, if a church wants to be effective, we need to have our occupant present and comfortable. I once was in uh, a situation and there was going to be a, a keynote speaker delivering a message. And, and prior to this keynote speaker delivering their message, there was something happening on the, on the center stage that I could see was aggravating this person. And, and I saw 
behind the stage, walking backwards and forwards, and I could see them getting crosser and crosser by what's happening. And I'm thinking, he's got to come on, and he's got to give his keynote speech in a minute. How is he going to do that? How is he going to do it? How is he going to perform? How is he going to deliver this message when he's all upset and grieved by what's going on? And sadly, that's so often what happens within the church. We grieve the Holy Spirit, and then we expect the Holy Spirit to bless us. We grieve the Holy Spirit and then we, we're looking for the gifts of the Spirit. We're looking for the fruits of the Spirit and we've just grieved the Spirit. How can we expect the Holy Spirit to bless us, to deal with us? We can thank God for grace. But we really need to take this seriously. That this church is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And that should lead us and guide us in where we're going. We may be thinking to ourselves, how can we do this? How can we be the church that God wants us to be? When we're challenged by God's word, we think this is just too difficult, isn't it? Do I have to be kind to everybody? That person, they're just so wrong to me. Do I have to be kind to them? Do I have to be tender-hearted to that arrogant person that always talks down to me? Do I have to forgive them? Yeah, you do. How do we do this? We should let about the bitterness, about the wrath and the anger. How do, we, how do we get past these things? How can we be a church that God wants us to be? How do we stop grieving the Spirit? How can we individually be part of the church when this standard is so high and when the Holy Spirit is the occupant? How can we be fit to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, the last role, the last part that I want to bring to you from this chapter here is the master builder. The master builder. You see, God, the maker and the creator of the world. God, the maker and the creator of the world, is the builder of this church. You see, the Lord God is the master builder. Verse 22, 21, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The reason that we can be the church that God wants us to be is because we've been built by no one less than God himself. We see God the Father, we see God the Son, we see God the Holy Spirit working together in the, in the Trinity to, to make us, to build us, to be the church. How can we be the church? Because Christ has shed his blood for us. 
How can we be the church? Because before time began, God chose us and God decided that we would be part of his family. How can we be the church? Because the Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts and our lives, convicted us of sin, showed us of our great need of God, enabled us to call upon the name of the Lord. As we called upon the name of the Lord, his word and his promise was faithful and we've been forgiven and we've been redeemed and we've been brought into the family and Christ's blood was shed and it was sufficient and it was enough and we're clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit and how do we stop from grieving the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is our helper the Holy Spirit is our comforter and we're able to get on and you see this is a huge to us because the church that has been built is not dependent on your skills dependent on your Bible knowledge. It's not dependent on your money or the denomination that you are. It's not dependent on the size of the congregation. It doesn't even need a five-year strategic plan or an outreach plan or any other plans. Now, they're all useful. But what the church needs is Christ to be at the center. What the church needs is the foundation on God's word. What the church needs is people to be humbly the bricks that's been used. What the church needs is the Holy Spirit at the center, living, dwelling there. And the church can be these things because God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are the master builders making it happen. You see, it's not about the pastors It's not about the elders. It's not about the founders. They cannot build the church. And friends, what is exciting is the fact that governments cannot make the church grow. And they cannot stop the church from growing. Because the church is God's. God brings, and this is the wonder of it all, he brings this mess of rotten, rubbish clay. And he transforms it into a beautiful building using the picture language. He takes the filthy rags and he washes them clean and makes them perfect, clean garments. He takes the beggar that's on the dunghill and he makes him a prince and a priest and a king. That's what God is doing. It's him that is underwriting it. He is transforming the lives of the church one by one. And he's neatly fitting them together, making them into a holy temple, making them into something that is quite beautiful for himself. And that's why we as a church have a hope. That's why it can happen. That's why it is a reality. That's why I'm not wasting my breath this morning. If it was my strength or your abilities or my abilities and your strength, it would never happen. But it's not. It is God the Father. He is going to build this church. He is the master builder. In England, there's a tradition of of companies and and part of their advertising, the same happens in Cyprus, is they, they put their foundation date there. They, they, they let you know when they were established. Facebook was established in 2004. Coca-Cola. The first Coca-Cola was sold in, I couldn't believe this, 1888. 1888. It became an established company in 1999. 
There's a company in Scotland, in Aberdeen, and Pastor Andrew, if he was here, he was here his heart would be proud because that's the, his, his hometown, that was established in 1418. Ancient old uh, transportation contractor. They, they think the oldest company that's founded in England, though, is the Royal Mint, the people that make the money for us. And they started in 886. When I've been at a couple of conferences in America, some of the things that they often do is they, they ask the different delegates just to give a, a brief outline of the church that they're at. And so many of my uh, American friend pastors, they, they would sort of start and they would say, and our church was established in 1950, or perhaps some of them even got back to 1890-something, yeah? And so I'm thinking, my turn, my turn. I say, our church was established 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Paul came to Cyprus. But that's wrong. That's wrong. You see, the church was established in eternity past. Before time was invented, the church was established. Your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's why the church is going to conquer. And that's why the hells of gate shall not prevail. Because before time began, in eternity past, God established the church. That is our badge of pride, isn't it? Not established in 1822, 1934, or whatever. We were established then. And then to think of it on top of that, 2,000 years ago, God himself came to this world and gave his life for you. So that what was established in eternity past came to fruition through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that evening before the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself up and was willing to give his life for the sins of his people, he said, I'm going to leave you a comforter, a helper. In fact, he said, I'm going to ask the Father to send it. And God the Father has sent the Holy Spirit. And so right now with us is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is helping us and enabling us. He is our comforter. He is our helper. He is the paraclete. And so it is possible for us to do church right and to church to God's glory because it is God's church. And as we go forward, be, we, 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 we long that Jesus will be our chief cornerstone. As we go through this series, the Bible will be the foundation. Us as the bricks, as a part redeemed people of God, we'll be brought together and will be fitted into that temple where the Holy Spirit lives. And it can all happen because it's God's church. And before time began... God intended us to be his church. And not just his church for now, but his church for eternity, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, forgive us for when we lose sight of whose church this is. Forgive us for when we have grieved 
the Holy Spirit. Forgive us for when our ego and our pride and our own desires and comfort have come before your word and yourself. Oh Lord God, as we go forward, we plead with you that you would help us as a church, help us as individuals to be those that are trusting in Christ and Christ alone. May we as individuals in a church be those whose foundation of life is on your word. May we see ourselves as the church, as the redeemed people of God. May we not see ourselves as the owners. May we be fit for purpose, for a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And oh Lord God, we thank you for the assurance that this can happen because it's not about us, but it's about what has been done for us. And we thank you this was planned before time began and will take us on to eternity forever because you alone are God and we are your church because we've been bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, help us to strive to be the church that you intend us to be. And we thank you that we can be because of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.